This is Mission Control, Houston. Ignition sequence start. I've been preparing for this all my life. Here's Porter on hard and taking him to school. What a great play by Jay Shante. KJ Martin climbed Bobon Mountain. T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. And you've seen tonight that we, we fought together, we stayed together, and it's about damn time, man. Six, five, four, three, two, one. What's up and welcome to another episode of Locked on Rockets, the best and only daily podcast covering your Houston Rockets. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin, native Houstonian and partner at Apollo Media. Be sure to follow along on Twitter at JT Gatlin, the show, of course, at Locked on Rockets, as well as at Apollo HOU. And if you enjoy what we do here at Locked on Rockets, do me a huge favor. Hit the subscribe button at our brand new YouTube channel. Hit subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, the brand new Odyssey app. We would sincerely appreciate it. Now, today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need be sure to visit rockauto.com and joining us to talk about the Rockets' start to summer league these first couple games and first impressions takeaways all that jazz is rockets wire editor ben dubose the podfather himself what's up ben how's it going going pretty well jackson how are you i'm doing great i'm sure you're doing great over there because uh chelsea just got a w i believe right yeah, the UEFA Super Cup final uh, winners of champions in uh, Europa League last year. Chelsea won in the PK shootout, which delayed our uh, recording for a bit. My apologies. But uh, yeah, always fun to watch a uh, PK shootout for sure. Almost right. as fun, but not quite as fun as the Rockets Summer League games. Right, because that, that was going to be the, the, where I kind of wanted to start with this is this has been in my head. I'm trying to think back to when we've had games that we've looked forward to and honestly i'm really thinking back to it's got to be for me the last time it, with this entire last season and how you know tumultuous everything was for this past calendar year for the rockets i think that the most recent most exciting game or game that i guess i was looking most forward to was kevin porter junior's debut mm-hmm. uh at the nba level right and then even prior to that it would have been Kevin Porter Jr.'s debut with the Vipers. And so now we've had back-to-back games where these summer league games have felt more exciting and more fun than almost anything that we experienced in the regular season, maybe aside from a couple different games here and there. Obviously, the Kevin Porter Jr. 50-burger, that first game post-James Harden era. There's a couple other ones sprinkled throughout. Um, Obviously, Bill Worrell's final game holding a lot of nostalgia factor there. But I just want to know, Ben, where do you come away with, you know, just immediate impressions from these first two summer league games? How are you feeling after these first two games? Really good. I mean, I'll throw back when you're looking at when I was most excited to watch a Rockets game, I would go all the way back to when Christian Wood turned his ankle in Memphis, which was the end of that stretch where they had won seven out of eight. Because really, after Christian Wood turned his ankle, it got real very quick. And then it became very obvious. I mean, we sort of knew even what was going on that the team was playing above their heads a little bit, at least from the standpoint of six in a row. And then once it started spiraling, it was sort of like, look, even if they do win, we sort of know that they need to maximize those lottery odds. And so it just wasn't that fun because in addition to the lack of talent, there's not even really a huge incentive to win other than, you know, the Kevin Porter Jr. debut. That's a big deal. I agree. But at this point, you have guys that could conceivably be the foundation of the next Rockets contender. And to me, that's what I've said since the draft. Like, 
they may be really bad again in 2022. Like that's entirely possible, but they don't have to be. Like the world in which the Rockets, let's say they defy the odds and somehow are like contending for a play-in spot next year. That's because in all likelihood that guys like Jalen Green, like LP, like Josh Christopher, you have these guys that are playing above their heads and out of their minds at just 19, 20 years old. You can throw Kevin Porter Jr. at 21 into that mix as well. And if the Rockets do overachieve next year, and I'm not saying they're going to do it. You just have to be at least a little more open to it based on what we've seen to this point then you can at least embrace it. You can cheer for it because at least on paper, these guys can be really, really good. And that's what every summer league game tells you. So yeah, it feels completely different than last year because last year, even the good moments for me were just sort of tainted a little bit by the the realization that, hey, even if they do win these games, all it really does is potentially push you into like San Antonio Spurs territory where you're just sort of treading water and on the mediocrity treadmill and how do you get off it? Now you at least have enough of a base and talent that if they win, if they're ready sooner than expected, then great, you can deal with that. And, you know, the Rockets would be a very attractive destination if that's the case. Now, I don't expect that to be likely. I think the more realistic scenario is that these guys who are showing out in summer league, the actual NBA is going to be a different matter altogether. But yeah, that's what to me is so different about it because yeah, they look great now and I'm looking forward to the season because if somehow they do defy the odds and they are ready more quickly than other guys and you, you know, with with Green, with Shangun, you do have to be open to the fact that them playing in uh, the G League in Turkey, professional leagues, not college basketball, maybe they are in position to be ready a little bit earlier. It's just two summer league games. I know we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but it's nice to have hope. Hey, I mean, look, it's been it was such a downtrodden season for the Rockets that it's not, you know, even even though we might be getting a little bit ahead of ourselves right now, it's like you said, it's good to finally have hope a little bit. It's good to be able to look forward towards the future and be excited about things again, because even though there were little glimpses of excitement this past season and you could think about the possibility, oh, well, you know, what's Christian Wood going to look like with a little bit more uh, time under his belt? What's Kevin Porter Jr.'s true ceiling going to look like? Jay Sean Tate, an absolute diamond in the rough. It really feels like the Rockets absolutely cleaned up in this draft. Credit to the front office. Credit to Rafael Stone. Um, shout out to my fellow co-host here at the Locked On Podcast Network, Rylan Styles of the Locked On Thunder Podcast, whose episode uh, Wednesday was titled, Is the Houston Rockets Rebuild Already Ahead of the Oklahoma City Thunder? Oh, wow. Like that is where we're at is how other teams and other organizations might be perceiving the Rockets and how well they did in this draft. Uh, the, the Rockets may have handled their rebuilding in truly like one offseason, right? Because as you said, they might have that possibility to, you know, push play a little, you know, over their capabilities this next season and make a push for a play in spot, right? There's a lot of talent on this roster. I'm still of the belief that they're probably going to skew a little bit more towards the bottom tier of the league just because yeah. of all that youth, all that inexperience. They're bound to, you know, all four of the rookies are bound to probably hit the rookie wall at some point at this level. But Ben, through these first two games, before we dive into some specifics on some of these guys, what has been your biggest or the biggest surprise to you through these first couple summer league games? I know it, it's sort of what everyone on Twitter is talking about, but what really has floored me is Josh Christopher. And that's not to take away from the top two guys, but we knew that they were going to be good. Jalen Green is a star. And I suppose, you know, there is some relief in seeing, and I said this during the uh, Detroit game, that the Pistons, they started blitzing those pick and rolls, even doubling him at times. And it was good to see that he was able to adjust to that and succeed in sort of a 
off script setting compared to the Cleveland game where it just came so easy for him. But I just did not expect Josh Christopher. I feel like on draft night, a lot of people did not see what Raphael Stone saw. A lot of people thought that maybe he was just here as sort of a doing a solid to Jalen Green because everyone knows their friends growing up together. But he has looked really good, not just on the defensive end, but he's driving. He's finishing through contact. And we've heard um, Josh Christopher say it. We've heard Raphael Stone say it. The Drew Holiday comparison. Now, obviously, that's not fair at 19 years old. What they're talking about is what they can sort of extrapolate him to eventually become. But yeah, you can see when he goes downhill and can finish through contact that he has the handles in a summer league game to basically be your point guard, even at six foot five, and to initiate the offense at times. He seems to have good vision. I was not expecting that from Josh Christopher. Not that I was down on him, but that's a guy going into the draft a lot of people thought might fall into the second round. And so for him to be that ready after a so-so season at Arizona State, that surprises me. But obviously, number one, the coaches, everything at the NBA level is better. And number two, I think also college basketball this past year was a little bit wonky to begin with. I think Christopher only played like half the season. And then you factor in no crowds, the pandemic limitations, practices being thrown for a loop. Uh, I think in the case of the Pac-12 teams, they didn't even start until midway through. So it, it was a very disjointed year in which you didn't really see the development for a lot of younger prospects that you typically would in a normal year. So I would say that's something to sort of keep an open mind to is that these guys who are coming out of college, you might not can extrapolate the same as you could with a normal college basketball season. And I think that maybe that's happening with the Rockets and Josh Christopher, because I just did not expect to see him. You know, I expected the defense after what Raphael Stone said, him picking up full court, his communication, all those attributes that they said they learned from him during the process. I did not know offensively that he'd be this ready, this physical, this confident, uh, really from day one. He has been an absolute revelation, uh, Christopher, that is. And we've got to talk about the other couple guys here as well as everything else going on with the Rockets Summer League roster and some, you know, hypotheticals about moving forward into this next season. We're going to get there in just a moment after a quick message from our friends over at Sweat Block. Because look, there's nothing worse than, you know, you're you're on the way to an important meeting, job interview, maybe a date, something like that, right? And, you know, you're sitting in your car, you're blasting the AC, but you're nervous, you're freaking out, and you start sweating. Look, at the end of the day, sweat, it happens to everybody. It's And it's it's one of the most uncomfortable things, right? Again, you're getting ready to meet somebody for the first time. You're trying to make a good first impression. And you look down and you are just like drenched through your shirt or your outfit, whatever you're wearing. You've got to check out Sweat Block. It's doctor created, doctor recommended, works for up to seven days per use. It is clinically proven. It's stronger and more effective than other clinical antiperspirants. You simply apply it at night before bedtime. And then the next morning when you wake up, wash, go about your day without worrying about sweat at all, it's guaranteed guaranteed to work or your money back. So if you or someone you love is dealing with this, go check out Sweatblock. Get it today for 20% off at sweatblock.com with promo code locked on. You can get it there or at Amazon and CVS. Again, that's 20% off at sweatblock.com using promo code locked on. And we also have another message from our friends over at rockauto.com because at the end of the day, why would you want to spend up to 30, 50, or even 100% more for the exact same auto parts? Just visit rockauto.com. Their catalog is so easy to navigate. You can quickly find all the parts that you need for your car or truck. They've got all the brands and specifications that you need right at your fingertips. Don't bother driving in person to the nearest auto parts store and you get there and you're like, hey, I need you know this part for my car. And they're like, oh, we don't even carry that. Just go online to our website, right? And then you're going to go to their website and spend more money. Just visit rockauto.com. And when you're there, when you're checking out their website, when you're navigating, once you're ready to check out, hit the little shopping cart icon. Be sure to write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so that they know that we sent you. 
Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Be sure to visit rockauto.com. And continuing on here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Continuing our conversation with Rockets Wire editor, the podfather himself, Ben DuBose. Now, Ben, when we're looking at this Rockets summer league roster, it is inspiring a lot of confidence in the future of this organization, the youth movement that we've all been kind of clamoring for since the end of the James Harden era, right? There was a lot of debate about a hard reset, you know, to, to a full-blown rebuild or if they were going to try and pivot, obviously, with the whole Victor Oladipo situation they tried to maybe be a little bit competitive and that kind of bottomed out fell through and now here we are Rockets secured the number one number two overall pick I should say and they pick up Jalen Green they also make the other moves trading the draft picks the future draft capital to take Alper and Shingun at 16 and then Usman Garuba 23 Josh Christopher 24 biggest question mark for me and I've speculated on this a little bit but I want to hear your thoughts on it is moving forward this Roster has just a logjam crunch of players, oh, yeah. right? You've got the mix of the veterans. You've got the the young rookies, the young players who need some rotation minutes. And there's a lot of question marks surrounding what actually happens with this roster. So I want to get kind of tee you up for two questions here. The first of which is, what do you envision being like the starting lineup come opening night of the season? And then two... Who do you think are the most likely candidates on this roster to probably or p- potentially spend a little bit of time at the G League level so that they can get actual like reps in and not just be riding the end of the bench, you know, with the Rockets all season? So uh, that question is obviously contingent on what the roster looks like. And I do think there's going to be openings the rest of the offseason now that we're through the first wave of free agency to where Rafael Stone might have opportunities to offload his veterans teams who from that first um, wave as they were trying to find their bargains. Maybe that's where Daniel House Jr., uh, Eric Gordon, don't want to say just House because I don't want to, you know, uh, have anybody coming after me on Twitter, but we don't want we don't want my podcast numbers to dip. Ben, come no, on, no, not at all. But there's a few guys who could conceivably become targets. I mean, I do think Wall sticks at this point because the Clippers. That scenario was the only realistic one I could find, and I feel like that. Was was contingent on Reggie Jackson going out. So I have a tough time seeing that at this point. But other than um, other than House and Gordon, you know, all the other guys are fairly young. I mean, I think the time for a Christian Wood trade, if you were going to consider something that drastic, was before the draft. As I think we said, I don't think it really makes sense at this point because you don't really know the draft equity that you'd be getting for him. Maybe, you know, I understand the contract limitations there, but maybe you look at that closer to the trade deadline if you don't see him as a long-term fit or you have concerns over his next contract. I kind of look the the lineup. I think uh, Jalen Green has to start for sure. I don't care that he's 19. He's the face of the franchise. He's going to start. And I think John Wall, as long as he's here, he's going to start as well. So I think those two and Christian Wood, I think those three of your five are there for sure. And then it gets really interesting because – I feel like, you know, on paper, the guys who are most proven would be uh, Jay Sean Tate and Daniel Tice. I know Tice is a new signing, but he's a veteran. He's 29 years old. You signed him because you thought that he'd be sort of the, a better fit alongside Christian Wood than maybe Kelly Olenek was, especially on the defensive end. But at the same time, I feel like for a team that struggled so much shooting the ball last year, a front court of Tate, um, Christian Wood, and Daniel Tice is a little questionable in terms of the floor spacing. So to me, the big question in terms of the swing lineup is I would say Tice versus uh, Jay Sean Tate, because 
depending on who ends up winning out there with priorities, then my suspicion is that you may see someone along the lines of, you know, if they keep both veterans, Eric Gordon, Daniel House, they could be in play. Uh, I mean, you can't even rule Armani Brooks out, assuming they keep him, but just someone that could conceivably provide more shooting. That would be my guess. But Honestly, it's a good problem to have. I doubt that – I know some will, after the first couple of summer league games, say Shingun. I'm not willing to go there just yet because I want to see that his defense holds up. I know that he's really looked terrific on that end. Well, terrific might be a stretch, but he has not looked like the liability that people thought he was going into the draft. However, I also don't want to assume after two summer league games that the concerns are for nothing. So I think a safer expectation – would be for Shingun to come off the bench to start the year in a limited role. And if he proves worthy of something, you take that as a pleasant surprise and you deal with that as the season moves along. I think you gradually give him more minutes. And then, of course, it could be a situation where if the Rockets fall out of contention, then inherently as the year goes along, you give more minutes to your guys like LP, like Josh Christopher, like Usman Garuba, who seems poised to play maybe at least one summer league game, it sounds like. So... I would say to start fairly veteran heavy uh, other than Jalen Green, but uh, long term, yeah, any of those guys are going to be options. And, you know, to hit back to your earlier point about the rebuild, what to me gives me the most confidence of all as I go through like where the Rockets are big picture Rafael Stone is starting to have so many hits. You know, when I uh, talked about the options to start, we didn't even mention K.J. Martin, who's looked pretty solid, especially with his three-point stroke the first couple of summer league games. He was drafted 52 overall last year in the second round. He could have fallen out altogether. Jay Sean Tate, of course, was a guy they picked up as a free agent for basically at the minimum. And now you already have evidence that seems that the guys they drafted this year all look really, really good. The point is, the Rockets are starting to get one of the big uh, market inefficiencies, if you will, which is a front office that can truly draft and scout well. And of course, it's not just Rafael Stone and Eli Whitus. It's all of draft Twitter that they've acquired. But there's a compelling case. We're starting to see that the Rockets are above average when it comes to scouting. And they might be way above average. But again, it's only two off season, so I don't want to go there just yet. But the point is, we're starting to get some really strong evidence that this Rockets uh, front office knows what they're doing when it comes to scouting. That's why they're so deep and we have these questions as far as who starts. And that's that's the kind of thing that can expedite your rebuild in a big way if you are consistently sort of outpunching your weight class, if you will, when it comes to what you do with your resources. Because over the last 12 months, that's exactly what Rafael Stone has done. So in all of that, there's one name that I didn't hear you mention not one time, Ben, and that's Kevin Porter Jr., yeah. Well, that's How does an he older... factor into all this for you? Jesus. I didn't even think, yeah, of course he's going to start. My God. I was going through, because I was not expecting you to ask me the starting lineup. That's a total brain fart by me. Jeez. So yeah, of course KPJ is going to start. I was actually going through it because I was like, they're not going to start Gordon or House, but who am I? Yeah, duh. Because I haven't seen him. And, you know, the thing that's weird to say about KPJ is we honestly did not get much of a sample last year because he didn't, you know, his tenure with the Rockets didn't start until mid-March. It's very short-lived. Less than yeah, 30 games. Yeah. And it ended at the end of April because, of course, he had the injury at the end of the year. And then he's not playing in summer league because he's in that weird spot where he's still so young, but at the same time, he's so proven. So, yeah, of course you're going to start Kevin Porter Jr. So, yeah, I completely whiffed on that because I was thinking of the veterans. So, yeah, Wall, KPJ, Green, and then pick your choice of um, Tate or Tice. I was trying to fit those 
but yeah, I, I just don't see a world in which, assuming John Wall returns, and again, I think the market for him is dried up based on uh, Reggie Jackson going back to the Clippers, then I don't see a world in which you don't start KPJ and Green, and then it's just a matter of uh, who starts next to Christian Wood on the front line, and do you go small or do you go a, a little bit bigger and more sort of post-oriented, if you will. Coming up, I want to talk about uh, a little bit about the man, the new face of the franchise, Jalen Green. And we're going to get there in just a moment after a message from our friends over at betonline.ag because betonline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season in full swing. So before the next pitch, head over to betonline.ag. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. It's time for you to get in on the action. They've also got you covered for UFC, MMA, you name it. They've got it over at betonline. So be sure to head over to their website and use promo code LOCKEDON for a 50% welcome bonus. Bonus on your very first deposit. Again, that's a 50% welcome bonus when you use promo code locked on. That's L O C K E D O N at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And final segment here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Now, Ben, we've already seen the Rockets face off against Evan Mobley and the Cleveland Cavaliers, which they won that one. And I think Jalen Green outperformed Evan Mobley in that game. We saw them play against the Detroit Pistons and Cade Cunningham. And even though the contest between the number one overall pick and the number two overall pick was a little bit closer than it was between Green and Mobley, um, I still think that I can safely say that Jalen Green outperformed Cade Cunningham in the Pistons game. And now we've got uh, Jalen Green coming up against the number four overall pick and the Toronto Raptors, uh, Scotty Barnes. And, you know, that's going to be another really fun contest. Uh, I'm... I wonder if we're going to get another uh, like a three for three here out of Jalen Green outperforming the other top picks because he really does play with kind of a chip on his shoulder. But at the same time, I've been so thoroughly impressed and I want to I want your thoughts on this about how he hasn't really like I feel like nobody would be upset if he went out there and like shot over 25 attempts a game. Right. Like <laughs> his name's J- he's Jalen Green. He's a number two overall pick. He's a certified bucket. Like I don't think anybody would be upset at that. Mm-hmm. And yet we find ourselves looking at the way that he's been playing and he's playing within the offense. He's not going out of his way to get his shot. He's playing within the flow. He's not demanding the basketball. He's, you know, running, you know, running the sets to a T. He's not, you know, sulking when he doesn't get the ball or, mm-hmm. you know, constantly calling for it at times, you know, looking to get others more so involved than he is looking to get his own shot. And that's really stood out to me so far from Jalen. Yeah, and I feel like with Jalen, his floor is so high in summer league because with the surrounding talent on that roster for uh, that roster for cheese, I was trying to go with Josh Christopher and I'm just merging words here, but Josh Rostopher. There we go. Yes, there we go. Yeah. And looking like he's not going to be on the G league during the season. That was something I thought uh, going into the draft, by the way. Now I think you've got to find a way for Josh Christopher to play at least some NBA minutes during the upcoming season. But anyway, with a guy like Josh Christopher who can initiate the offense, Jalen green's floor is so high because of his shot. And one thing that I didn't fully appreciate until um, watching him live is just how quick that release is. Because when you're watching uh, highlight videos like you are in the pre-draft process, you tend to know, of course, that it's, you know, it's either their highlights, their lowlights, whatever it may be. But when it's when it's not live, you you know, you're not truly looking at it with um, 
an open mind. What's really surprised me during these first couple of games is seeing the shot profile of Jalen Green, just how limited the daylight has to be for him to be able to get that off at a high accuracy. It's not like he's just chucking it. The form is still there. He just has a very quick release. You know, I hate to throw the comp because people are going to say, oh, you're comparing uh, Jalen Green to Steph Curry. No, I'm not comparing him in terms of the accuracy of his shot. But what I'm saying is that I do see a little bit of Curry from the standpoint of the daylight is so slender in terms of what he needs to get off his shot. So when you have some other playmakers like Christopher out there that can handle the ball, and we know from the G League he's comfortable playing off the ball, and he doesn't exactly need to have a ton of space to get that shot off, it's pretty tough for him to not, you know, it just feels like that Pistons game, you know, the first five minutes, things were dreadful. He had the three turnovers and they were blitzing him, doubling him. And I was wondering that, I'm like, man, I hope he doesn't just get like embarrassed or something like that. And before you know it, he ends up scoring 20 plus because it's just so easy for him with the tools he has to score points. And so that's what I sort of expect to continue. And I really think, you know, I would expect that Scotty Barnes, based on the fact that he's, you know, part of his profile is he's a guy that's defensively versatile and can guard um, top wing players. I would guess that he spends a lot of time on Jalen Green, assuming that both play. And that seems to be the kind of thing that fuels Jalen. I mean, we heard him saying that up to the, the Pistons game, that he wanted to go against the Pistons who passed on him in the draft. He wanted to go against Kate Cunningham. So I would think that Jalen has that same type of approach. And, Again, I just didn't really appreciate it until watching these games and seeing some of these shots. Like when he gets the ball, I I think, you know, is he going to have to create off the dribble? And his ability to create separation so easily or get it off in a limited window, again, I just did not fully appreciate it until watching it live because when you watch it live, it really hits home when you see a play starting and you think, hey, he's not going to be able – to fire from here, or he's not going to be able to get this separation. And then somehow through his combination of instincts, his release, his quickness, his burst, he's able to do it. And that's what sort of really floored me uh, as, as someone that's really watching him live for the first time. So, one, you know, the thing that keeps standing out to me looking at Jalen and what being able to, like you said, really appreciate watching him live is his first step and just how explosive it is. And I remember mm-hmm. Uh, when we, when KP and I had our had our interview with Coach uh, Joey Fuca, prolific prep, Jalen's old uh, high school coach, he said Jalen's first step is lethal, and his second and third steps might be even more so. And you know, there's this moment that I want to circle back to and bring back from the the Pistons game where Jalen caught the ball in a dribble handoff out past the three point line took one or two kind of dribbles, you know, kind of surveying the defense and deciding what he was going to do. And then he split two defenders in like a fraction of a second and exploded towards the basket so quickly that they had no choice but to grab and foul him. Otherwise, he had a completely wide open lane because of the way that the defense was staggered and Mm -hmm. the dribble handoff set that the Rockets were running. And it was that little moment there where I was just like, wow. Like, I mean, in in a split second, like, I mean, if you blink, you miss it. And he splits the two defenders and is already like within arm's length of the rim, you know, being, you know, a jersey being pulled on by somebody else so that he doesn't get a freebie dunk or layup right at the cup. And it's those, and we've seen that on display a little bit. You know, he, he's really kind of shown us not quite his entire bag, but he's shown us the versatility in his offensive game where he can score at the rim, he can drive, he can isolate, he can get it in transition. Um, he's got his step back that he's been able to make at a high clip so far with, you know, 
very little mm-hmm. room to get those shots off. As you were alluding to, he had the one uh, against the Cavaliers, I believe it was, where he you know got the ball again on a dribble handoff, and both defenders kind of crowded him, almost like they were trying to you know uh, double him and take the ball out of his hands. And he just elevated right out of the dribble handoff and pulled up for a three with seemingly no space whatsoever and drained it. And so you're right. I think that there's a level of appreciation that you get for his game as you're watching him live and seeing him really just explode in yeah. a matter of minutes for an absurd amount of points. And I would also point out that I was really impressed that as poorly as Tuesday's game started, he didn't take the bait to turn it into sort of a one-on-one showdown with Cade because you know early in the game he was getting some slander on Twitter, and it wasn't entirely fair because he's not as physical as Cade Cunningham. So while he was sort of embracing these possessions in which he would pick up Cade, look, Cade is just much stronger in the upper body, especially at this age. I mean, if you look at them, they're just night and day in terms of their uh, approach. Cade is going to be the more physical player, whereas Jalen is much more about his just blinding athleticism and his burst. So some of those lowlights, other than when Cade had the behind the back three, it was more just, you know, it wasn't like... Jalen got embarrassed. I mean, he's just not as strong as Cade. We know that. That's his weakness. And so when Cade gets downhill, there's only so much that Jalen, especially with his body right now, now who knows, maybe over the years he fills out. But we sort of already knew that. But it would have been so easy to get back to the point for Jalen to get sucked in and say, you know what, I'm going to try and make this into my own mixtape. But at the same time, he knew, look, blitzing me. They're doubling at times. It's a coverage that he had not seen before. He already had three turnovers. And so I think even after Cade sort of snapped his ankles, if you will, and hit that three, the fact that he didn't take the bait, he made the nice pass to set up the more efficient play. I think that shows you that his head is in the right place because it's a very fine line to walk. I mean, we've heard these media interviews and we alluded to them earlier about how he's fueled by playing against uh, and really, this entire run is going up against the top prospects. That's the way the NBA set up the summer league schedule of him going up against uh, Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, uh, Scotty Barnes, Jalen Suggs. And he's fueled by that. All of them are going to spend time guarding him and vice versa. But at the same time, there's a fine line between, okay, you want to be motivated by that, but you don't want it to consume you to the point where you're not playing team basketball and you're not doing what the coaches think is best for giving your team the optimal chance to win. And so I think last night with the oohs and ahs in that arena, everybody watching, it's getting off to a little bit of a bad start for him. The fact that he avoided the temptation and stuck with it, that's just one of those things that we said throughout the draft lead-up process that you know, Evan Mobley was the favorite based on just the measurables. The case for Jalen Green was based on the intangibles, in many cases, the immeasurables, in terms of how much could you trust his continued development and the fact that even if he doesn't have a certain profile on paper, if he's in the gym enough, he's going to work on any weakness that he has and get better. And he just has that sort of killer instinct, that will to win is what came up so many times with his former coaches, his teammates, all that sort of thing. And I think we're already seeing that early on. The fact that the kid at 19 years old is mature enough not to sort of take the bait, if you will, I thought that was a really encouraging sign. You know, and I'm glad you bring up that point, Ben, because that's that's exactly where my mind went and to the play that you you know highlighted as well, that that moment where Cade kind of snatched his ankles for a moment and yeah. uh, hit the three pointer and and Green came back down, made the right read on the next possession that that actually prompted my question to Will Weaver post game and, and Weaver gave a very insightful answer that we're going to run back right now. How do you think Jalen handled himself in this matchup kind of being billed, you know, number one pick, number two pick? And and what did you see from him as this game progressed? I saw him drive winning. I saw him pass the ball 
that camera, John. Yeah. So I saw him pass the ball to open teammates when they blitzed him. Um, I saw him consistently make the right play. And that's what it takes to play at the highest level. It's an unforgiving league. And so if you make a mistake and try to hold on to it for one extra dribble or um, creep out of the corner just because you want the ball a little too much, that's all the other team needs to punish you. So uh, I'm, I'm continuing to be really impressed with his approach. Great to hear that from Rockets assistant coach Will Weaver, who is uh, head coach of the Summer League squad in Las Vegas. Uh, again, the coaching staff seemingly with so many great words to share about all of these young Rockets rookies, both Jalen Green, Alper and Shingun, Josh Christopher, um, some glowing words for KJ Martin and his and his work so far. Um, again, as the the veteran of this core group of young guys in Vegas, yeah. uh, which is so funny to say with, with KJ Martin. But uh, Ben, any final thoughts before we wrap this thing up? Yeah, I think that his willingness, you know, we talked about his maturity, but also his willingness to work off the ball, the fact that he got through that without saying, hey, I'm going to take this ball and go one-on-one against anybody. It speaks to his maturity, but I think it also speaks to the fact that this is why it could work alongside John Wall, alongside Kevin Porter Jr. Again, my apologies to KPJ for the total brain fart when going through the starting lineup. But the point is, Wall, KPJ, all of these guys – the big question is, okay, these guys need the ball in their hands. And that was one of the questions in the pre-draft process about Jalen Green. Not that you draft for fit, but at the same time, you do have a guy in Kevin Porter Jr. who could be alongside Jalen Green, a starter in your long-term backcourt, your backcourt of the future. How is this going to work with two guys who need the ball in their hands? And so I think the fact that we're seeing that Jalen Green sort of gets himself out of these ruts not only by adjusting what he does on the ball, but adjusting and reading things off the ball as well. That's something that profiles really well going into the regular season because, you know, we've talked about, uh, you know, on this podcast, raving about Josh Christopher and the things we're seeing in summer league. Okay, well, it's going to, the competition in terms of who they're playing against, but also the guys that are on the Rockets with them are going to get better. John Wall, KPJ, and they're going to need the ball in their hands. And so I think what we're seeing uh, Jalen Green adjust, it, it, sort of builds confidence in my mind that the fit is going to be good alongside other ball dominant guards and that he doesn't have to have the ball in his hands all that often to make an impact. All right, Ben, as always, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Let everybody know where to track you down at. Yep, absolutely. Uh, the Rocketswire on Twitter for uh, the website, which is Rocketswire, rocketswire.usatoday.com. And of course me at Ben Dubose, pretty simple. Thanks a bunch, Ben. Always appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. For today's episode, that is going to do it. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to the brand new YouTube channel. Subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google, brand new Odyssey app. We would sincerely appreciate it. But for today's episode, that's going to be it. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.